This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. February is Black History Month in Canada because Parliament unanimously passed a motion back in 1995 introduced by the first African-Canadian woman MP. We've moved a long way. We've come a long way. And um, at the same time, in order to be a really fair, diverse, inclusive uh, society, we have to do much more. Jean Augustine has kept busy in retirement and will be by later to talk about her ongoing efforts to tackle inequalities in education. And then, how to navigate financial problems during COVID-19 that may have some Canadian couples seeking advice about separation and divorce this Valentine's Day instead of chocolates and flowers. Certainly, we're, we're very familiar with this uh, concept of stress in a relationship as it relates to finances. This is the biggest source of, of, of breakdown of relationships, uh, far more than anything else like infidelity. Jamie Gollumbeck of CIBC Tax and Estate Planning will have some advice later in the show. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Could the COVID-19 vaccine make Zoomers shopping influencers? Since older generations are getting immunized first and eventually cleared to venture out again, they could drive a surge in spending, according to luxury labels. Bloomberg reports they're less likely to have suffered job losses from the pandemic and having to stay home for nearly a year has only swelled their savings. Many companies have tended to neglect baby boomers or Zoomers, focusing instead on winning over millennials and Gen Z. But once older adults are inoculated, they could drive a silver surge in spending in some of the worst-hit corners of the economy. Some seniors are already rushing to book future holidays in anticipation of being able to travel again. And even staycations will eventually mean more money spent in local restaurants, pubs, and other establishments once they reopen. An afternoon nap could keep your brain sharp. A new study finds that people 60 and older who took them showed signs of better mental agility compared to those who didn't nap. Researchers analyzed napping habits in older Chinese people, and in every category, nappers tested higher on average compared to their non-napping counterparts. The study recommends taking a shorter power nap of up to 20 minutes to decrease the chances of transitioning into slow-wave sleep, which makes people feel groggy when they wake up. The results can be found in general psychiatry. A German grandmother's invention has grabbed the attention of people around the world. 62-year-old Rita Abel, wheelchair-bound from a previous accident, says she faced barriers getting around town, especially at the entrance to some of her favorite shops. So she started building ramps out of Lego colorful bricks glued together, and so far, a dozen have been installed in her hometown. In addition to taking orders from around the world, Rita's published the instructions for people to make their own while raising awareness about the many barriers 
resource for people with mobility issues. And this was one of them we pulled out, and it has the library card from, I think it says 1929 on it. Talk about late fees. A book's been returned to a Nova Scotia library 82 years after it was checked out. A homeowner doing renos discovered in the attic a copy of The Adventures of Dr. Doolittle from the Sydney Public Library. While the one library book has been returned, the other books discovered in the attic will remain in the 100-year-old home as a connection to the past. The library ended late fees last year, but if they had still been in place, someone could have faced a fine of more than $3,000. Seniors at an Oklahoma nursing home went viral this week with their exercise class. It's a mix of music and movement. They use exercise balls for drums. At first, only two or three seniors showed up to the class, but now it's full. The activity coordinator says the home's always looking for something fun and safe to do during COVID. In the video that has well over two million views, the drummers can be seen masked up and socially distanced. A spokesperson says while they don't own the rights to the accompanying music, they own rights to a good time. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It was December 1995 when the House of Commons officially recognized February as Black History Month in Canada after unanimously passing a motion introduced by Jean Augustine, who two years earlier was the first African-Canadian woman elected as MP, representing the Toronto riding of Etobicoke Lakeshore. After deciding not to seek re-election in 2006, she moved on to new challenges, which to this day involve addressing systemic barriers and racial inequalities in education through the Jean Augustine Chair in Education, Community, and Diaspora at York University. A chair is endowed, as you know, uh, three million endowment, and the endowment stays in perpetuity. So we will have that chair in in perpetuity. The interest from the three million is what is pulled each year for the upkeep of the chair, the, the, um, the professor has also the power to raise uh, funds and do other stuff uh, for programs. So I'm really working on the endowment, the endowment amount that I want to see complete. The chair has been going since 2008 with a very, very specific um, purpose, and that is to engage in community responsive research and programs that promote equity and social justice. So since 2008, what is taught in the chair, the research the chair has done, uh, the partnerships, the community engagement, the student engagement, all these activities have been taking place. The professor who is a holder of the chair is a well-known international academic. He, his focus is really to advance access, equity, and inclusivity to education. This pandemic has more or less amplified and has shown the need for programs 
like the programs that's occurring right now in the chair. So it's important for us to to find the ways to address marginalization, to look at all the barriers that individuals from the African-Canadian community face, how they could be overcome, and to find some way in which we could begin to to move together and to work together. I think the the Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd um, uh, discussions, the injustices, etc., the pandemic have all created for us the opportunity to examine our corporate boardrooms, to examine our promotional promotional opportunities, to look at who we are in Canadian society, to see how we can make a difference, and for all of us to come together to support issues like the chair that can build the kind of research and can give us the kind of information and can, through programming, make a difference in the society. Quite an inspirational road you have traveled. A long one, a winding one, an involved one, clearly, because a lot of people can think about doing maybe some of what you've done, but to actually take the ball and run with it, quite an inspiration. Yes, we're growing up in Happy Hill, St. George's, Grenada, um, without very much, but having a passion for justice, having a passion for service. 60 years in Toronto. When I came, Toronto was a different place. I'm sure you know this. We had no Charter of Rights and Freedom. We had no police community relations. School boards weren't talking to parents in the way we are. So we've moved a long way. We've come a long way. And um, at the same time, in order to be a really fair, diverse, inclusive uh, society, we have to do much more. Um, I keep thinking of this as a work in progress. You know, we are heading there. We're not there yet, as the kids would ask. <laughs> are you there yet? We're not there yet, but I think we're well on the way. So any contributions that can help me to finish off that endowment so that the chair can do this important work and give us the kind of information that is necessary um, would be much, much, much appreciated. So here we are, 25 years since I got the motion for Black History Month, 25 years of celebrating Black History Month, 25 years of community coming together in various and varying discussions, the cry for desegregated data, the, the, uh, the push for gender equality, uh, and at the same time recognizing that the pandemic has opened up and showed us uh, the people who are caught in really difficult situations right now, and they are in the main people of color, and uh, who are the the nurses and the, the caregivers, and uh, those who are working in in um, front lines. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I'm calling on my my age group. <laughs> Those who know, those who know and understand. The Zoomers. The Zoomers, how far we've come, how much we've contributed to get us where we are. Because what I'm attempting to do is pass the baton to the young people. 
so that they could pick up the activism and the advocacy that's necessary to push us along. Hopefully, and I'm sure there will be quite a few lining up to take that baton from you. Jean Augustine, thank you. Thank you so much. You take care. Have a good one. Yep. Bye-bye. You, you as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was former Etobicoke Lakeshore MP Gene Augustine, the driving force behind having February officially designated as Black History Month in Canada back in 1995, who's now keeping busy in retirement, I might add, with a Gene Augustine chair in education at York University. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer, and this is a Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, helping couples seeking advice about separation and divorce with their financial planning. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. COVID-19 has put a lot of pressure on couples. In fact, the pandemic's leading more to seek advice about separation and divorce. With the COVID-related financial pressures and money, one of the key sources of friction among couples, Jamie Gollenbeck, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC, goes over what they should be thinking about as they consider making life-altering decisions. What happens to RSPs during separation and divorce? Well, RSPs are just like any other asset that a couple would have, and uh, it's something that can be divided. So normally when a couple is separating, certainly uh, on a divorce scenario, there's a division of property. Uh, the increase in the value from the date of marriage to the date of separation is typically divided uh, by two, and RSPs just become an asset like any other asset uh, that would be divided. What about uh, tax-efficient strategies that couples, say, could use when splitting their lives? Well, I mean, the nice thing from a tax perspective is that uh, you can be very, very tax efficient when dividing up assets. So um, certainly registered assets like RSPs and RIFs, things like that, they can be transferred tax-free to the other spouse, any amount of it, the whole thing, half of it, it moves over tax-free. That's not a concern. But the same thing also applies to to non-registered assets. So if you have a a portfolio of securities that's gone up in value, maybe you have shares of Apple or some other corporation that's done very, very well. As well, you can also transfer those shares uh, on a tax-deferred basis. The inherited cost is transferred over, and you just divide it based on fair market value. So it becomes very tax-efficient to effectively split both registered and non-registered assets uh, in the case of uh, divorce. What about transferring of assets? Any assets that you transfer to a spouse can be transferred tax-free as part of the uh, part of the division of property, as part of the separation. So even if there's a gain on one of your assets, you can transfer it uh, at the tax cost of that asset so that you don't have to pay tax until the asset is actually sold by the recipient spouse. What about retirement planning for those couples as they go their separate ways? Retirement planning becomes extremely important uh, when it comes to uh, division of property and also um, separation because at one point you were planning as a couple uh, with your joint income and joint expenses, and now as two separate individuals, you have to look at both sides of the income statement. You have to look at the income. Are there sources of income that you no longer have? Does one partner have a pension plan that you can no longer rely on for your retirement? Is that going to come up during the 
uh, discussion of division of property. Similarly, with expenses, instead of owning one home, now you have to have two homes or one person's going to rent. Expenses certainly can be a lot higher, and that can impede the type of uh, retirement that you otherwise were planning. So I think it's really important to sit down with a financial advisor when going through any type of of separation or ultimately divorce um, to look at your financial plan, to look at your retirement. Things will change. The income certainly won't be as high, and the expenses may be higher. So those are two things that are working uh, together that may actually change the retirement that you had planned. A recent study has identified economic hardship as a source of conflict among couples, and we all know how anytime you're talking money, that can pose problems between people. And given the fact that we are in the midst of of a pandemic and people feeling pressure, mental health issues there, and then you bring in finances, it could conceivably lead to separation and divorce. Are you personally hearing of such cases where this, meaning finances and covid leading people to approach planners to say, help us out of this? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen specific examples of, you know, divorcing couples coming into our office and saying, oh, my God, we're divorcing because of COVID. But certainly we're we're very familiar with this uh, concept of stress in a relationship as it relates to finances. This is the biggest source of of, of breakdown of relationships, uh, far more than anything else like infidelity. Uh, you know, if you look at the research coming out of the states and uh, and some of the bigger resource organizations on why uh, you know relationships don't last, uh, finance is always a source of tension. So, if there is pressure during a COVID scenario where someone has lost their job, um, net income has gone down, industries have sort of uh, sort of disappeared overnight, things like you know uh, you know live live entertainment, things like that, and people are relying on that income, that's a huge source of tension. Uh, you know, in terms of expenses and, and kids at home and, and all kinds of things like that, it's not surprising that you would have a, enormous conflict there in, in scenarios where perhaps there's always been conflict about money and there hasn't been that open discussion. Uh, that's really important uh, in a relationship to talk about values and spending and goals and opportunities. Anything else you'd care to leave us with that we haven't covered, Jamie, that uh, people in this position should consider? I think the most important thing is really to be to be well advised. There's a lots of information certainly out there on the internet, lots of horror stories and you know, if you are currently going through a separation or divorce, you've probably met other people that are going through it or have been through it and they will tell you obviously nightmare stories. It doesn't have to be, at least on the financial side, if you get the right advice. So we really think it's a great idea. You're obviously going to work with a lawyer in most cases to, you know, get the divorce done, get the separation finalized, work on, you know, parenting plans and, and custody and things like that. But, uh, you know, if there still are, are young children. But at the end of the day, I think working with a financial advisor uh, to really make sure that you've covered all the bases, that you are doing things tax effectively, that the division of assets have been properly considered, and you're also taking into account things like a pension plan, opportunity for reemployment, uh, especially in light of the difficult economic circumstances as a result of COVID. Jamie Gollenbeck, CIBC, thanks for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank All you. right. You have a great day. All right. Take care. All right. Bye for now. That was Jamie Gollenbeck, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. 
Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.